Were we too early? Just last month, we explored why Christians feel fed up with some secular fantasy franchises with the Daily Wire culture reporter Megan Basham. Weeks later, activists leaked audio from inside the Walt Disney Company, revealing how its creators want to use the Disney stories to preach sexual revolution religion to children. Parents are getting upset, many want to cancel their Disney World vacations or Disney Plus subscriptions. Meanwhile, others are planning their cultural counter-strikes, including the Daily Wire itself. They acted early too, announcing they will spend $100 million on kids' entertainment. One of those show writers, who is a returning guest, rejoins us on today's Fantastical Truth. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stever Burnett. I published lorehaven.com, co-authored The Pop Culture Parent, and also am sitting on the fence uh, about canceling my Disney Plus subscription, although I'm pretty sure I want to do that. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I want to be a kid again because it sounds like there's going to be some great new shows for kids. I'm really excited to watch those with my kids. And this is episode 107, Why is the Daily Wire Spending Millions to Create Fantastic Shows for Kids? And we're going to be joined today by our guest, Frank Fleming. Frank used to be at the Babylon Bee. He writes his own novels. He does political writing. He's come up with some of the funniest stuff for the Babylon Bee. And we had him on Fantastical Truth uh, about a couple of years ago now, I guess. We'll have that link in the show notes for sure. But now uh, the Daily Wire has recruited him as well. Uh, I hear a knock at the door right now, Zach. I think the Daily Wire is just recruiting everybody. They're like Nick Fury running around uh, trying to get people to uh, <laughs> join their in Avengers initiative. And vengeance is on the mind of many people. I joke at the beginning of the show, and I am considering whether to cancel Disney+, Plus. but a quick grab from the concession stand, very salty, sweet snack here. I'm not going to argue in this show about whether or not you should cancel a thing. That topic is kind of adjunct to our main focus of this topic, which is not about engaging the culture or about boycotting the culture, but about the counterculture which is a long legacy among Christians, Zach. I, I kind of noticed that a lot of people are going, hey, we need some alternative to Disney. And I'm like, uh, the 1980s evangelical ministries called, they would like their cultural conflict methods back because I grew up hearing about this stuff and I'm not even critical about it. Uh, we had Phil Lawler on with Adventures in Odyssey, for example. That was focused on the family's effort to provide a Christian alternative, and it ended up being much, much bigger than that, a fandom in its own right. There were lots of other Christian series on the radio and animated videos and live-action shows uh, going back at least 30 or 40 years. Uh, the Daily Wire and others, uh, glad they're coming to the party. Welcome to the party, pal. Uh, but it's kind of familiar territory as far as I see it. Well, I had a conversation with someone who was surprised to learn that Adventures in Odyssey is still ongoing and you can get the app and listen to all the back episodes and current episodes are still making new content. That was really fun to get to share that with someone that had, had grown up listening to them on the radio, but didn't know that they had continued. And yeah, there are a lot of people that didn't even know these existed in the first place or ever. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people, like I didn't know about any of this stuff when I was a kid. I just watched Saturday morning cartoons or whatever. But I, I think this is going to be a great time. Like I said, I, I think we're in the golden era of Christian fiction. It's different nowadays. You know, it's not like um, the days of like 20 years ago where you, you could find the left behind books at Walmart or gas stations or whatever. It's a little bit more distributed, a little more decentralized. 
a lot of indie publishing. So, you know, you have to kind of know where to find things. And that's what we do here at Lorehaven. We help you find great stories. I wouldn't say personally, I wouldn't say we're in the golden era just yet. I, I see some glimmers of gold on the horizon. And um, I think most people, myself included, although I appreciate the Left Behind series and Christian bookstores back in the 90s and early 100s, I might call that more of a copper era. If we're talking about the Olympic <laughs> medal rankings there. Uh, bronze, what is it? A bronze. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a bronze age. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I am here by naming it here on Fantastical Truth, purely by accident, <laughs> unoutlined. That was the bronze age of Christian made fiction. Maybe we're moving into a silver age. I like it. I don't know yet if we'll be in a golden age when Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy are the kings and queens reigning over Narnia. And that was the golden age of Narnia. Uh, maybe the golden age awaits in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, we can talk about resurrection there, but I'll take another bronze age at this point, or maybe a silver age. But I think that leads to another disclaimer, Zach, is, uh, is you'll hear Frank talk about in our discussion, uh, this uh, daily, why are kids and any of these other efforts to make a conservative, culturally conservative stories for children? Like we talked about, uh, talked with the guy, uh, you talked with the guy, Zach, from Brave Books at the last uh, homeschool conference. Uh, these are not specifically Christian stories, which I think adds another wrinkle to this. There's lots of Christians who are making these stories. Can you call it a Christian story if they don't talk about Jesus and they only talk about how gun control is bad? And it's um, not for a Christian company, like well, overtly Christian company. Yeah. May not have overtly Christian content, but it's just like a common grace story from well, sure. Disney or anybody else. You know, maybe they're talking about Judeo Christian or culturally conservative wisdom. And it still counts, I think, as a Christian story if a Christian made it and the Christian yeah. doesn't have a chip on their shoulder about Christ or his people. I think it still counts as a Christian story. Well, and we've talked about this before with, uh, was it Doctor Strange could be considered a Christian story, right? Because of the director being the a Christian. the very but, far end of how I consider yeah. that, yes, yes. Right, but but and that's, you know, that's what gets kind of messy about movies and TV shows. There's so many people involved in them. It's, it's not quite as clear cut as just a book where there's one or maybe two authors. But Stephen, I like this moniker of us now living in the silver age of Christian fiction. Or a potential our, silver our, age, yeah. Yeah. But, but I like this thought that the best days are ahead of us. You know, we, we don't have to look back and say, oh, it was so great when Lewis and Tolkien were alive, or it was so great when the Pilgrim's Progress was the thing. Nothing wrong against any of those. In fact, I've got four different copies of Narnia here in our house. But I like the idea that there are greater stories to come and that we can look forward to where this is going. We don't have to just lament, you know, when, when society was more Christian and there were just more widely accepted stories. I think that the cultural pressures that are happening right now in the church is going to be a good thing. Like I think pressure can make beautiful things. And I think it's going to make just really great Christian art. Like the lines are a lot clearer now in our culture, right? It, it's not so blended. It's quasi-Christian or whatever. It's Judeo-Christian or Christian-based. It's like there are very anti-Christian aspects of our culture which makes the Christian creators and the Christian art stand out a lot more and that you have to be more committed to it in ways. So uh, let, let's hope that this uh, keeps trending upward. There are some disadvantages to that. I, I think that there is an advantage to having common grace permeating the general culture, uh, to being mixed up in the general culture along with non-believers. I mean, uh, it's kind of the drawback of having a more compromised, diffused version of Christianity spread throughout our regions. But the advantage now is that, yes, as you said, the lines are drawn a little bit more. That's a battlefield metaphor. We're just keeping that a metaphor at this point. Uh, don't read too much more into that. <laughs> 
Uh, it's uh, it's simply a way for Christians to find common ground with other Christians and find common ground with how we want to teach these virtues to our kids, which is why lots of people are stepping forward going, okay, we're taking this seriously. We're not just going to complain and fundraise about all the lefties in the media or the sexuality activists. We're actually just going to try to ignore those insofar as we are gathering resources to make a profit-based entertainment offerings for kids. Many fantastical Christian-made fiction fans also want to create these stories, so if perchance this applies to you or to a relative, child, or friend you love, we are excited to help support the Realm Makers Conference for this year, now going to Atlantic City, New Jersey, from July 21st through 23rd. Here is the description. Are you excited to take the next step in your speculative fiction journey? No, not an actual trip to space, time travel, or forging your own sword. Joining us for Realm Makers 2022. This year's annual Writers' Conference will again offer the event in person in Atlantic City and live online. So even if you're not ready to travel in July, you can still see the teaching in real time. Every class will be live-streamed for our virtual attendees. Whether attending in Atlantic City or online, all attendees will have the chance to connect on the Realm Sphere in a dedicated conference space in our online community. Realm Makers 2022 is an amazing value because this year, every attendee gets access to replays of every class available through the Realm Sphere. No matter how you attend, if you have a manuscript you want to pitch to our participating agents and editors, you will be able to do so. You can find the registration link to the Realm Makers 2022 conference in the show notes for episode 107. You can also go to our website, lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors and get the complete description and links there. All right, our guest today is Frank Fleming. He is a former engineer as well as one of the staff writers for the Babylon Bee. Now he's a scripted creator for the Daily Wire. He's also a sci-fi and fantasy author of such titles as Super Ego, Hellbender, and SideQuest. And he's arriving in a spaceship that's landing right outside the studio on the uh, launch pad there. So let's open up the hatch and let him inside. Well, we're joined now by Frank Fleming, and it's uh, good to have you back on the show, Frank. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Let's talk about uh, this new job you've got. Uh, I'm sure being in your 40s and, and switching careers is uh, got to be really exciting and just all all kinds of fantastic possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would, be, it would be exciting if I were in my 20s and my 40s. It feels like a midlife crisis. Right? <laughs> I just, I've left my my uh, responsible engineering job to now uh, write TV shows. And it's just a bizarre thing. Well, uh, Steve and I both watched the uh, Daily Wire announcement from Jeremy Boring about the Daily Wire Kids programming that's coming. So uh, just to our listeners that may not have heard about it, why don't you just give us kind of a quick update about uh, what that endeavor is all about? Well, first they hired uh, Ethan Nicole and Eric Branscombe, who used to do uh, animation and video for the Babylon Bee. They hired them to be, they call it, we're calling it uh, scripted creators and start making original program for the Daily Wire. Uh, I think a lot of people seen the few movies they put out and now they want to also make like a more like TV offerings. But part of that, a big part of that is uh, kids programming. And now they've I've just announced and made public. It originally wasn't going to get announced till like about the end of the year, but they went ahead uh, with the sort of Disney controversy, went ahead and announced now that uh, they're. And I didn't hear know about this until it was announced. A hundred million over the next three years into kids programming. So uh, between uh, the three writers I have right now, I guess working on basically yeah a whole uh, 
spate of programming though we do hope to be getting some more writers added in soon frank we've had you on the podcast before uh, to talk about your own novels which we will get to in chapter two of this interview but for those who are not familiar with the daily wire it started out as basically podcast you know from a culturally conservative uh, fiscally conservative uh, political position so there's a lot of punditry going on it's ben shapiro michael knowles andrew clavin a bunch of other hosts uh, matt walsh others that are going on over there so it kind of starts out with political punditry but then a few years ago they start putting their money where their mouths are and saying guys we're going to make some movies in order to help influence the culture uh, towards a more uh, conservative or even for the Christian Bible-based uh, culture influence, we've got to make movies. We've got to make TV shows. So they're doing that. And then that's the context in which the new uh, Kids Project comes in. Uh, I think you said they were going to announce that. I heard they were waiting until the election uh, here in the United States to announce that. So that would have been November 2022. But with all that was going on with Disney, uh, they decided to just go ahead and say, hey, this is what we're working on. So please sign up and support what we're doing. Uh, not just to uh, tell Disney what you think of them, but because you want to support better stories that don't come with all of these agendas you disagree with. It's kind of amazing. I mean, they they made a good amount of money with political commentary. There's a lot of places you can get political commentary, but but what they're taking is they're taking that money and investing that into you know cultural products, and these are non ideological. If you've seen like their first few movies, uh, but they're just trying to make good content that people can enjoy and not have to worry about, you know, about getting hit with like this ideological stuff. And that's especially important with kids programming where you really, you know, we're always very uh, cautious about what we let our kids watch. And we want to know it's from someone we can trust, and which of course is making kind of a big responsibility on what we're working on. Cause <laughs> sometimes I push the limits on things, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, this is my first time writing kids content. It is not, though, uh, Ethan and Eric's first time. And so it's great to have them there and help helping guide me. Now, Ethan, I know, is part of the VeggieTales when it was on Netflix. Was Eric a part of that as well? Yes, uh, okay. he, he was part of that. And Eric's also worked on a number of other kids programming. Yeah, I know what you mean about the uh, kind of the sucker punch that sometimes hits you when you're watching something. Uh, it was a uh, Netflix uh, fantasy cartoon that I was watching with my kids a number of years ago. And somewhere in the middle of season two, it's revealed that a character has two moms. And, uh, and, and these two moms uh, sort of like, okay, well, uh, you know, it kind of flew over my kids' heads at first, but then uh, the two moms kissed each other a few times. And so it's like, well, if you, uh, if you missed it the first time, you didn't miss it that time. And so we had to kind of figure out an uh, age-appropriate way to explain that to, uh, I believe she was like six or seven or something at the oh, time, boy. one of our kids. You know, that right there, I think, is why a lot of people have, have either canceled Netflix, canceled Disney, or, or just kind of paying less attention to it. But I want to hear from you. Why go to the Daily Wire to write TV shows? Like, why, why not just write a show that would go on Netflix or that would go on Disney? Well, I, it's the sort of content allowed. I mean, a lot of these people who are uh, now coming in, in to write for the daily wire there you know they they've had to sort of be uh closeted because it's like everything you have to put this into it they're getting dictates from the executives like what content you know they need lgbtq content they're starting to get that demand in kids programming and it's just people just want to make some good shows or you know the values you teach the little kids are important and i i think well i think the left understand that that's why they want that content in there they figure you get that to them really early on and show them but, you know, a lot of these, they're just terrible values and we want to make sure we make stuff that 
kids can watch and we'll teach them. We're looking for much older values, things that aren't new and trendy, but have been been around for a long time. And I, I, that's really the big focus so far in the first few programs we're working on. So I assume that means every episode you're making has a gospel presentation at the end, <laughs> an altar call, a Bible verse that comes on the screen. It, it's <laughs> right now what, what they've gotten together. I mean, it's it's a group of people who are just really hungry to make great content. They happen to be all happen to be Christian. They all happen to have a lot of kids. Like uh, each one of us has four kids. Oh wow! But um, we're we're making secular programming. You know, we're not making anything that's supposed to be teaching kids. You know, uh, politics. I mean, we're not afraid to mention God in an ep- you know it, we're appropriate, but it it's not it's not you know specifically Christian programming. It, it's just supposed to be good programming with you know lasting values. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're right now we're working on the. Uh, they announced that chilla time, which is going to be educational. Just talk about about like Western canon things like that, and work that in uh, for little kids to understand it. But it, it's you know it's educational a lot of different ways. So I know you can't share a whole lot about the shows that y'all are working on, but there's what is it? Doodles with poodles and chilla time. And I heard that uh, doodles with noodles. That one noodles. looks like noodles. Uh, that one looks like a fun one. They're going to turn Ethan Nicole into a kids host. He's going to be him. <laughs> And a puppet. Uh, he's going to be teaching how to draw various things. This one, perfect. And uh, there's Doodles, who somehow ends up in a completely different direction, following the directions. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, see, I, I feel like an OG Ethan Nicole fan because before he was with the Netflix attempted Veggie Tales, and before he was with the Babylon Bee, he of course was the uh, breakout success uh, web comic artist behind X Cop, uh, one of oh, my yeah. all time favorites so i would love it if it's possible for him to for example uh draw you know a lion with a machine gun arms and you know and a tiger tail and any of those other uh magnificent chimera creatures that were always uh, getting their heads chopped off in the axe cop universe yeah i i was a big uh ethan nicole fan from well before i met him i i had a, a you know, read his comics online. I got his first uh, Dark Horse a while ago. I, I had comic books for a while. I was like, I'm eh, not no reason to keep these. End up giving away like all of them except that Axe first Axe Cop series. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> too special. I have to hold on to that. He's got a lot more great stuff in him, and I'm, I'm I think uh, really is such a great opportunity to work with him. It's funny the Axe Cop is less impressive now that I've gotten to know him because you say like all this bizarre stuff only a five year old could come up with it. It's like no. Ethan comes up with lots of bizarre and off the wall stuff himself. <laughs> well, Chilla Time looks fairly normal and and fairly based, as the kids say. Uh, I've seen the concept art from that, and it has uh, his art style, as far as I could discern, all over it. The pitch I heard was that it's a it's based on a homeschool family. Yeah, they're gonna. It's basically each of them is doing different homeschool lesson, but it's usually not very straightforward, like sit in a classroom type thing. It's where they acted out and stuff like that. It's been a lot of fun writing for it. I was actually just before this podcast in the middle of writing a, a new script for it. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a lot of great fun. We're aiming at a very young age, but you know, we really want this to be entertaining for the whole family. You know, I don't think I know hardly any TV shows that are about a homeschool family and that, and that's a positive thing in the show. Like racking my brain to think back, like I don't even think Seventh Heaven was a uh, homeschool family. It was like a Christian family, but not not homeschool. And that's the only thing that comes to mind. Maybe Little House on the Prairie. Uh, but... some, some characters are coded. No, they they went. They had a classroom. In that's Little right. House they had the, the little. They had the little school. It's funny. House. I never watched it as a kid, but my kids have been watching that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you want stuff, the whole family can watch. Unfortunately, a lot of times you got to go with the 
older stuff. I, I think yeah. a Lost in Space on Netflix counts as a homeschool family. It's, it's a coded homeschool family. So really a show focusing on homeschool family uh, is focusing on a minority that is not very represented in today's popular cultural offerings. Yeah, well, it, and it, of course, homeschooling's grown a lot because uh, of recent events. And uh, so it's become more and more popular. And also yeah. just the more focus on people seeing what's actually get taught in the classroom. Well, you know, you, you said something so true there, Frank, that to, to find something that's family friendly, uh, you do have to go a little bit older because things are changing so rapidly in our culture and in media. I joked a minute ago about, oh, so are these shows going to be, uh, you know, explicitly Christian and in your face? Because, you know, we don't really expect that. Uh, Christ, most Christians, I don't even think, want that. But but people also don't want the in-your-face, explicitly political shows, right? Because, uh, you know, there's this saying, well, um, uh, every, you know, th- there's kind of this movement of, like, politicizing everything and, like, uh, everything yeah. is political. And I, I think that's uh, really a totalitarian mindset, that, that everything has to be subservient of some kind of political cause. So here's my question, you know, for a subscriber, a listener of the Daily Wire that, you know, is mostly there for the political content, may, maybe a Christian, maybe not, but not really in it for, not, not really looking for, you know, religious programming or anything like that, but just wanting the, the, the punditry, as Stephen said, why would they have their kids watch one of these shows? They got a great, we're uh, getting together basically a dream team of people who just really creative, really good at making great content. And that, that's the thing is that's, that's our focus is just make something great, something really entertaining. Our, our mission is not to be ideological, but it, well, it's, our mission is to not be ideological. It's to make something good and uh, not, not try to you know, have any of the, the, the sort of indoctrinations you get in there. And uh, that's what I say. It was like Disney has basically been jettisoning a lot of the trust they built o- up over the decades of making the children's content. And we're going to try and build up that trust. Now, you mentioned, Zach, earlier that a lot of this is political. Uh, I would view that maybe a little differently just in terms of how we describe it, and that so much of this is religious and political. Uh, It doesn't take much to make a show uh, that is free of this ideology if you simply ignore this increasing religious influence. It's this uh, magical idea. It's actually uh, what Lewis warned against in the guise of Screwtape as the materialist magician who denies the existence of God, but believes in some kind of spiritual force. You see that now in these redefinitions of human nature that now people are imposing on children with drastic emotional, spiritual, and physical consequences. And now folks are trying to put this into the children's entertainment uh, in order to, in a sense, reproduce. And uh, there's some controversy lately about whether or not you should call this grooming. And I might wince at that a little bit because, well, that doesn't mean they're all pedophiles. They're just part of a systemic grooming, if you follow. But then I remember that cults groom people. False religions groom people because that kind of abuse is not just physical or sexual. Uh, it is emotional. Uh, it is ideological. And so it's, it's not a counterstrike and a culture war to say, well, let's get $100 million and go off to the Daily Wire and make some children's entertainment. I don't even know if it requires a lot of disclaimers about how it's not going to be ideological. All you have to say is we're not going to be tainted by this sex worshiping cult uh, that increasingly is trying to get itself set up as the established religion uh, in the United States. Well, yeah, I, I think that's the best way to understand it these days because people are trying like they try to say like, oh, look at the science here of men and women. It's like everybody knows men and women are different. What they have is this religious belief about gender that has nothing to do with facts, nothing to do with rationality. 
and it, it's this, but they want to teach this religious belief is truth to your kids. And it, it's just nonsense. And there has to be some fighting against it. First, you have to point out that's insane. And then, you know, like I said, maybe make some new stuff that people can trust instead, instead of, you know, these things that are trying to indoctrinate them on just these, like what it is, it, it's just crazy religious belief. It's based on uh, nothing but, you know, like gender and, you know, in human lusts. And it's such a weird, odd thing to base so much of your life around. So one of your uh, new co-workers of the Daily Wire, Dr. Matt Walsh, the uh, women's study scholar, <laughs> is his handle on Twitter right now. Uh, he had a really good point about all this today. He said, quote, this is a hard habit to break, and I'm guilty of it too, certainly, but we need to stop using the word gender. Yes. Human beings don't have a gender. We have a sex. We have a biological sex. Words have gender. All of this trouble began when they told us that people have a gender. And then he, he goes on to talk about uh, someone in the mid 20th century named John Money, yep. uh, who was one of the people that came up with this idea that we have both a sex and a gender identity, or at least that's where gender identity come from, that these are two entirely different concepts. You know, it really is this religious worldview that you have this metaphysical side of you that doesn't correspond or it might not correspond to your physical body and that metaphysical self that spiritual self is a higher order above your, your physical self. And this is, you know, a Gnostic belief in a sense. It, it does help sort of start with the premise that that's a religious view. And I think, you know, this is kind of how I've been approaching with people like, well, you can have that religious view if you want, but I don't want you teaching my kids religion, you know, if they're at school or, you know, Girl Scouts or something like just leave the religious aspects out of it. Or if you're going to bring in religion, then let's, let's bring in my religion too. I see what you're doing in that you're, you're trying to just take a story and say, let's not, in, let's not only not inject <laughs> this other crazy religious stuff, let's not even inject our own religion, but it is going to reflect our values. Like I'm sure what you're writing is reflecting your values and you know, you being a father I'm sure you have a very, very strong feelings as a father about what, what kids should know and what, you know, what kids kind of go through. And now a brief word from our sponsor. It's the Lorehaven Guild. It be us once again. Now that we have our next book quest underway at the exclusive Discord community server, we are exploring the Green Ember, the fantasy about wabbits with swords from S.D. Smith. Only he doesn't say wabbits. He says rabbits. It's a great story, not just for kids, but for anyone who enjoys talking animal myth that reflect human condition with lots of gospel reflections. It's been really fun so far. Our writer, uh, Elijah David, is leading that quest, and you can join late or however you wish to join. Just go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe, enter your name. We will send you a welcome message that includes the super secret access code where you can portal through to the Lorehaven Guild on Discord and join our thriving community of fantastical fans. Just go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe. So what, what are some of the, um, I guess, what, what are some of the themes that, that you guys do want to address or that you want to kind of base some of these stories on? Well, uh, you know, like I say, I can't get too much of the specifics right now, sure. but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're mainly looking at uh, the sort of issues, you know, you have kids deal with, being respectful of your own, uh, what you own, uh, being bravery, basic values, and trying to reflect, uh, you know, and just things about like kids getting disheartened when things don't work out. Uh, the first time and they, you know, things are tough, just basic things like that. But we try to relate it to um, things like, uh, you know, history and classic literature. And so they take the values from that. That's great. I, I was just having lunch uh, the other day with an old friend of mine from high school 
and we were talking about the just the very stark difference between the lessons we were taught as kids and the lessons that our kids are getting now. And, you know, one of those is like, I mean, the self-esteem movement was already kind of taken off when we were kids, but now it's like, it's really gone off the rails. And how deceptive is it to tell kids a lot of these self-esteem messages that are like, oh, you are enough or, or, you know, you're, you're perfect the way you are. And then they go out into the real world and get a job and they bomb <laughs> at, the, at the job or they bomb at the job interview. And we're not preparing them for success because they're, they're, you know, getting these ideas about uh, confidence coming from, again, this kind of metaphysical source rather than, hey, confidence can come from competence, like actually getting good at something and, yeah, and we, perseverance. <laughs> we're actually currently working on an episode exactly on that where it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to be great about everything. But it's like, no, you have to find something focused, find what you're good at, but you're not going to be great at everything. Well, from the Christian perspective, that's just honoring uh, a meaning from the cultural mandate that God gave his people before sin corrupted the world. Uh, back in Genesis chapter one, God is commissioning his people to go out and make something of the world, uh, to go out and work, to get good at things uh, and in their creativity to honor him. Uh, the curse corrupts that. It makes it painful. It makes it very difficult. And of course, it sends us into this death spiral of lies where I'm good enough. I can be like God. And that's something that we need more of in our stories. Just uh, that you, you may not preach from Genesis 128, but that's that's a meaning that I think more stories need to capture and that a lot of previous stories have captured. Uh, I want to ask in a moment about some of the creative influences, some of the shows for children, the fantasy entertainment that you all like on the team. But first, I was just thinking uh, during the uh, topic a moment ago about the first Pixar movie. Uh, does anybody remember the first ever Pixar Animation Studios film that implicitly rebuked uh, this uh, transgenderism cult? 1995? I thought Toys. I Toy thought Story was their okay. very first. Very one, yeah. first, okay. yes. Okay. So Buzz Lightyear, right? Now his movie's going to be used now to sell us some stuff in about a few months or so. <laughs> but when Buzz was originally a toy, it is his physical limitation that he is in denial about. For whatever reason, Buzz fancies himself a true space ranger from Star Command. And the, the film is not just about Woody accepting his uh, new place in Andy's bedroom. But about Buzz's realization that he is a toy, he cannot fly, he is a child's play thing. And if they remade that movie now, uh, everybody else would just accept that Buzz really is a space ranger. And we don't know why he freezes up instinctively when a child enters the room, but everybody just needs to use the correct pronouns for Buzz and call him sir and then act like he really is in touch with Star Command. Yeah, I mean, it I feels like a lot of the you know, values today. It's about, it's just like the truth isn't important. It's about your yeah. feelings and it's, you know, no, it's like, I, I never get why it, it's such a bad thing to say, like, I know you really want this thing, but you can't have that. Like, you know, if you're male, you can't be female. And it's like, I guess you can like, not dislike not being male. I, I think you should deal with that. But the idea that all society should lie to you and say, oh yeah, you can be a woman. I, how in the world does that lead to anything good? Right. So speaking of things good, what are some of the creative influences that you all like? Like some of the children's cartoons that, you know, whether it's Disney or not, uh, that you still might have a respect for and that are informing the creativity that you guys on the team are using for the new Daily Wire kids shows. Well, uh, a really good one recently is the show Bluey, which is aimed at a very uh, young audience, but uh, is legitimately funny and also uh, sometimes tugs at the heartstrings. And it's just like, I, I think that's, you know, shows that you can make 
you know, a really good uh, program a- aimed at young kids. Uh, I think that's that's been a, a bit of an influence. We're trying to we're working on some of the emotional angle, but we're also going to do a bit more educational, also with the chilla time. And yeah, I really like that. I, that's one of those where it's like oh, Disney has it. I hope that one still stays good for the kids. But it's just like you you feel like you got no guarantee with anything these days. It's been great so far, though the episodes I've seen of it. Well, Frank, I'm reading uh, Brothers Karamazov right now uh, with some friends. There's this great quote I just ran across where the uh, elder uh, Zosima, is, that's how you say it, he's uh, giving advice to someone and he says, above all, do not lie to yourself. A man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point where he does not discern any truth either in himself or anywhere around him and thus falls into disrespect towards himself and others. And then he, and he says, a man who lies to himself is often the first to take offense. It sometimes feels very good to take offense, doesn't it? I, I just thought this was so insightful that, that once you start lying and you lie to yourself, you want to, you lie about everything and then you just, you're setting yourself up for, for just getting offended by reality, you know, and, and this is kind of what's happening today. As you were saying, it's, we're in this epistemological crisis of where do you access truth? How do you access truth? What is truth? Is there truth that exists on its own? Um, or is it all just kind of made up? Is, are we just in this postmodern matrix, you know, where nothing's real? So, uh, you know, I, I think these, uh, I, I really like the approach you guys are taking, just kind of basing these stories on just reality, <laughs> like the reality that we've all known forever. Uh, but uh, we're, we're, you know, just fighting against this unreality that's trying to cram yeah. its way into every aspect of life right yeah, now. Yeah, when, you know, I think most of us, you know, we're Gen X too, and we wouldn't mind fighting against the offense culture, you know, I come from the uh, whatever culture. The, right. uh, but, it, you know, it's also the, the whole offense culture is kind of weird to me as a Christian because it's like, I'm offended by like a hundred things per day. It's like, <laughs> no one cares. Right. That's very true. Well, moving on from there, let's go to chapter two of our interview and talk about your, your books, your super ego series. So when we first had you on uh, this podcast a few episodes back, we, we talked about the first book just called Super Ego. And it's about a genetically modified uh, hitman who has no sense of of remorse. He has no empathy, basically no no moral center. Uh, but you know the the thing that I really noticed about uh, Rico, this character, is that he always told the truth. Like he he didn't you know he didn't really lie to himself. Like he it's like he couldn't get away with it, even though that he uh, he had no you know he didn't care if something was like morally wrong. He he seemed to always want the truth about things. And I guess if you're a hitman, you can't, you know, you can't play around with facts. Like you gotta, gotta get your facts right. Your gun's loaded or it's not, you know, the, the target is at that location or not. Uh, but that book was, uh, it, it was so unique, Frank, is that, you know, you've got a, it's a story about a hitman in outer space in this galactic empire. And yet he sort of comes to this, uh, moral crisis. So can you, uh, just re- recap, uh, what some of the uh, themes of that book were for our listeners. Well, the uh, sort of the concept of it is for the main character. He I made someone who uh, morality has absolutely no practical use. He doesn't feel any guilt. He works for this big criminal organization. He, if he commits a crime murder somewhere, he just, you know, flies off somewhere else. He never has to almost worry about consequences. And so coming up with this character who you can't make any pragmatic argument. He needs to be moral. You know, what is morality and what, what can he get out of the world? And, and also it ends up, he's a very nihilistic character and, but he's least honest about that. He kind of understands 
in a way his life is kind of pointless but uh, that's what he ends up coming to a crisis to is realizing is like why am i doing all this and uh what what can i hope to gain and uh so i try to be as honest with that character and have him work through that while keeping him true to the character he is you've got a christian character that comes into his life and plays a significant role and and sets him kind of on this this new path and uh so i i like the way that you you wove in a lot of spiritual themes and i mean just very direct spiritual topics you know this character was part of a church and and she talks all about that she talks about how she was this killer before she became a christian and now she's trying to uh you know she's not only repented of that but she's trying to reform her life and do something more positive in her life yeah she she's sort of an you know uh she's like rico used to be sort of like a, able to cut herself off but still human and able to reform and uh, it, in just trying to push him you know uh about these things it, it's sort of a counterweight i didn't think you know there's no of course, Rico, you've seen the first novel, there's no like come to Jesus moment for him that didn't seem honest. But it's the idea of him just even having to consider is there something more? Uh, does this, and, uh, you know, and that I think is just part of it, you know, is just the human longing. Like he's, he's a psychopath. He's very, uh, he has very little emotion stuff. But the, at the end of the day, he's still a human. And what does that mean for him? Yeah. And, you know, I actually appreciated this, is going to sound weird, but I appreciate that you didn't have the psychopath come to Jesus in book one, because then it's like, well, where does that, where does the story go from there? But, but more than that, it's like you, you showed the Christian life and message through this, the other character, the, the female counterpart. And I'm not using names just to not spoil it. If, if people want to go out and, and read it, but um, uh, I, I know the characters, but I like how that was sort of her background, but then it, it starts to invade Rico's life. And so it, it's really this thing he's wrestling against, like, well, that seems to make more sense in some ways, but still he's got this, you know, his own like operating system. Now, when we get to Super Ego Fathom, your book two, that's where they, they team up and they go after this kind of existential threat, uh, and, and sort of their, uh, in their universe and their, you know, galactic, uh, federation or whatever. What's kind of the arc of that story? Like, where, you know, where, where does faith play a role in that? Where does, you know, redemption play a role in that? And, and what, uh, wh- why did you want to write a story about, you know, this uh, galactic uh, eating, you know, force or whatever that's like destroying everything? Well, it, it's, it's sort of explored from the other angle. Well, he, he's a psychopath. He doesn't have really any feelings, but he's going to just mechanically in that one, he tries to be a hero. And, but what does that mean to him? especially when he, you know, he doesn't feel good when he helps people. He saves, he could save the universe and billions of lives and it means nothing to him. And so it's him again, it's just sort of a search for meaning and, uh, and him trying to find the extents of where that'll go. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a extreme circumstances to be in, but he's also an extreme person. So, uh, he, at least he has some utility there. Yeah. Now, Steven, what, what could you say right here about, heroes and trying to find their meaning through their heroism. You know, I, I feel like this is what DC, the, uh, the, the Snyder verse deals with a lot more seriously. It's not just like, you know, the Marvel verse is kind of heroes doing awesome things and it's funny. And then there's a laugh line and then, Oh, but New York was destroyed, but whatever, we're going to eat shawarma at the end. And then you know, it's just, it's cute. But I feel like the DC universe really leaned into, well, what does it mean to be a hero? What does it mean to do something heroic? So, 
Do you have any thoughts there about, about that? Well, the first few films anyway, uh, directed by Snyder himself, uh, went meta human about those questions for sure. And I've, I've belabored the point as a true fan, uh, on fantastical <laughs> truth a lot. Um, Marvel does go there though. Like at some of my DC ally friends who want to hashtag restore the Snyder verse, uh, would probably disagree with me about this, but I think there's still plenty of earnestness about the idea of heroes in many of the Marvel films. Now, some of them, as you said, are very flippant about it. And I think there's a way to laugh at hero tropes or comment on the absurdity of a situation here and there uh, without uh, giving away the gag. But I think increasingly um, we need stories that will explore heroes more earnestly, uh, not because humans are especially heroic, but because I would like to keep that standard above criticism. I would like to prevent some kind of postmodernish erosion uh, from taking that ideal of heroism away from us. I don't mind a little deconstruction uh, to ask why people want to behave so heroically, but ultimately I think we need to rebuild that vision of a hero. And that's where I see a lot of the movies going and I would like to see them continue to go that way. But to briefly go back to the whole Disney topic, now I'm a little scared for the Marvel cinematic universe uh, because yeah. if, if this uh, corrosion uh, from the sexualityism religion uh, is going to touch every part of the Walt Disney Corporation, uh, then I, I highly doubt it will resist touching uh, the Marvel side of things. So I really hope they can be resistant to that particular rust, uh, but don't count on it. Yeah, and Frank, what I really like about Super Ego Fathom is um, how Rico does a lot of these heroic things, but he's sort of um, self-unaware. Like, it's not for his own glory. Um, you know, it, it's not... Um, just to have these awesome moments uh, on screen, although they are really awesome moments. I, I think my favorite one is uh, where, where Rico basically uh, jumps ship, like literally like his ship explodes and he gets out in, uh, in a spacesuit, goes through an airlock, gets onto the other ship that blew him up. He breaks in there, but it, but he sort of like does it in secret. And so they don't really catch on to what he's doing. And then he's, he's going there to kind of mess up their ship and uh, they don't really, you know, <laughs> once they realize it, it's too late. And so it's, it's a pretty awesome scene and it's funny, but it's not like, like Steven said, it's not that flippant funny. And so I think you've got a good balance there of, of the humor, but also the action and, and this heroism. But again, it's just such a different kind of heroism since the character is not out for glory. It's almost like he's just doing what's right or like what's needed. And I, I feel like that is uh really the definition of a hero. It's, is it a, uh, I can't remember, I can never remember who said this quote. I always want to say Lewis, but it's probably Tim Keller or someone more recent, but that humility is not, um, thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. And, um, you know, R Rico seems to sort of be, uh, at least that's my read is that that's kind of the hero he seems to be. He's just kind of going from one job to the next and it's just about doing the job. And, uh, oh, and, and sometimes his, interests like line up with the interests of others and sometimes they don't uh but it does seem very true to character and it, for him to do these heroic things and it's just uh it's very offbeat i like it well yeah the the idea for the character is part of his survival uh, is that when he picks a course of action he sticks to it so if he says i'm going to risk my life to save all these people then he's going to do whatever it takes and he's not going to question like why do i care about these people or anything he's just going to stick the course of action yeah, my challenge for a writer is I established in the first book, he's very good in going to a room and shooting a bunch of people. So I got to keep finding situations where he, he can't do that uh, to give it more of a challenge and make things more interesting. And that's always uh, been a fun thing with the novels is just try to find newer, 
new situations where a, a psychopath and like interacting with people ha- has to uh, deal with. Yeah. Now, where does the third book go? Super ego betrayal. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, there's big spoilers for the second one to talk too much about it, but there, uh, this one, uh, introduces a, uh, there's a big change that you have a second perspective character about a third of the book is told from it goes in, um, well, I'd say more family issues. Uh, there's the character of his father who becomes a big part of the part of it. And an, another character who would be spoilers to talk about. I believe I heard you said on another interview that you wrote the original uh, Super Ego shortly after you had become a Christian. And and then you've, you know, th- these have now taken a few years. And I think there's a fourth one you're writing. How has your faith played a role in these stories? But even how has that changed from book to book? Well, uh, yeah, I actually wrote it first as a short story on my blog in parts. I wrote it in not how usually I write. Uh, usually I go back, revise, and change earlier chapters for later ideas and later chapters. But I did that for the original one. Uh, I then, when I made it a novel, I completely rewrote it. I don't think I used like any from the short story. But it was soon after I became a Christian and put a lot of themes into it. And, and that's kind of also the question is like, how heavy do you go on this? I decided, you know, I use it as a little bit of a setting. It's when the characters is Christian. And I, I, that's one of the things I feel like I don't see enough in fiction, um, but TV shows and other things is, you know, uh, is characters like I know who are Christian and, and being Christian is a big part of all their decision making. And you just, you don't see that, you know, uh, you may occasionally see characters go to church and stuff like that, but don't really see, you know, them having their process and everything they do just not very often in uh, media. And uh, so I, I think it's good sometimes to have characters like that. Someone, you know, you, uh, at least as a Christian, you know, uh, uh, makes sense to me. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, there's kind of an older fashioned style of uh, modern evangelical fiction that is constantly focusing on the backslider or the non-Christian, uh, whose job it is the novelist uh, must save the character or at least move them towards taking that leap of faith by the end of the book. And it always left me uncertain, who's the audience for this? The only Christians who are going to read this. You're not going to give this book to your unsafe friend. They will not be impressed. And uh, it led me to conclude inevitably, well, the audience for this is people Christians who want to read the book, but feel that the main reason why they ought to do anything is to get people saved. So you got to kind of head fake in that direction uh, when, in fact, uh, the book is actually made for the choir to enjoy. Uh, the uh, overcorrection I see uh, from a lot of uh, Christian authors, bless their hearts, is to just remain completely agnostic about the question of the main character's faith. Uh, it's just a story, the author seems to think. It's just a story. Uh, I'm not uh, writing a Christian book. I'm just a Christian who's writing a book. Uh, which, by the way, I still think that makes it a Christian book. You're just a little incognito more than usual. Uh, <laughs> I would love to see more stories that aren't trying to move the main character toward conversion, uh, but are set, you know, 10, 20 years into that character's uh, profession of faith. And it's just so naturally uh, grafted in uh, to that main character's life that now we have unlocked many dramatic possibilities, uh, even in a fantastical or science fiction universe. Uh, some of the best stories I've enjoyed have followed those deeper themes that can arise uh, when you take the character's faith as a given and then play that out and ask some tough questions and get it into some tougher themes. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I've played with a number of different ways to approach that. You know, in, in uh, Super Eagle, there's, there's a Christian character. My second novel, Side Quest, I'd say that's my most Christian novel, but God, Jesus is not mentioned once in it. It's just metaphorical. And then uh, I have my Hellbender series where it's just 
you know, it's sort of a window dressing. You have a character say Satan and stuff, but you don't really go into deep theological issues. Well, that title doesn't sound very Christian, though. (laughs) It's the the name of a salamander. The um, (laughs) (laughs) and God made salamanders, so okay, you're good. (laughs) Yeah, but part of the reasons write novels is, uh, you know, like political humor and stuff like that. But that's to me, it's always talking about very temporary issues. The whole idea of novels is because you want to talk on bigger, longer lasting issues. That's what I try to get into, you know, uh, make it sound like they're more dour than they are. My you know, main focus is always just make a fun, quick paced adventure, but it allows you to, you know, within that to explore some of these themes. You know, Stephen, what you said a minute ago about the stereotypical Christian character who's a backslider, what I never really see in stories is a Christian character that well, okay, what you do see often is a Christian character who's a hypocrite, you know, who who preaches all this stuff and then goes and leads this sinful lifestyle. But what you never see is the Christian who is struggling with sin and knows that they're being a hypocrite and is really like in pangs of guilt about that and wants to change, but is stuck in some, you know, addiction or, or some bad behavior, or vicious cycle. And, and you never get to really peer inside of that. But I'm like, how many Christians would relate to that though? Yeah. You know, of, of not being able to kick some, some sin from their past, especially if they became a Christian later in life. The, the lack of that character really shows the lack of understanding of Christianity because any, anyone who is actually a Christian is going to have the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin. Uh, I've heard someone say before that being a Christian just makes you a more miserable sinner. <laughs> Because you you might do a lot of the same things, but you feel so much worse about it, and you just can't stop thinking about it. Now, obviously, we we don't. Uh, my my pastor just had a really good sermon about worldly grief versus uh, godly grief. You know that, that not not just grief and sorrow when someone dies, but even grief over your sin. Like it's very different. Um, worldly grief over sin is like, oh, I I need to find a way to fix this. Which was we saw that the pinnacle of that when Judas Iscariot just goes to the priest, gives the money back, and then hangs himself. But then Peter was the example of godly grief over sin, where he he ran to the tomb, he swam to the shore to be with Jesus. He, he knew that his sin could only be forgiven. He couldn't fix himself. But but you know, those that those two approaches, those two postures towards one's own sin, um, you would only really know that if you were a Christian. Like if you were a Christian writer, you would know this is the kind of struggle that Christians go through. I mean, is it, um, I'm thinking of first Corinthians seven where Paul says, I don't understand what I'm doing, you know, uh, or is that Romans seven or, uh, first Corinthians seven. I just had a, a brain hiccup, but where uh, the apostle Paul says, I, you know, who can save me from this body of death? Because what I, what I want to do, that's not what I do, but what I end up doing is not what I want to do, you know, and that's the, uh, that's the Christian life in a, in a lot of times. So, um, you know, I'm really happy for not only the novels, but the Daily Wire stories you guys are writing where you're going to, you know, if at some point you go, you guys go beyond kids, you do teen or adult shows, you know, and there's a Christian character. I know you guys are going to represent that faithfully because you know that, you know, a Christian character, you are one, <laughs> you're a character in your own story. Um, but we, we can talk more about this, but I, I want to also go into our, our third segment here and talk about your other writing. You know, you mentioned uh, you write short stories on your blog and now you've got Substack. So kind of how, how has that changed and, and what are you doing with that like fiction wise and, and nonfiction? Well, yeah, I used to uh, blog. I just haven't had the time for it since my blog's still around. Uh, some other people keep it going. 
I did start a sub stack begin this year. I left the Babylon B and I was just like, no, I'm just going to focus on writing. I enjoy. I'll do the sub stack to just do what other stuff I find, what things I find funny and I'll work on my novels. The side. And I was going to do my engineering job as full-time job, which supported my family. So I don't have to worry about my writing being successful. Uh, those <laughs> plans got blown up within a couple of months with the daily wire bringing on for the, uh, the TV show writing. But uh, I still keep the sub stack and it's mainly just stuff I find funny, which is sometimes silly little short stories where like a couple of them are explaining, uh, exploring the logic of video games and things like that. And uh, and comic books. I had a fun one recently uh, I liked about um, uh, the Justice League getting ready to battle aliens and then Batman showing up and they're like, oh, there you are in your uh, bat costume. (laughs) It's like a, just something I always notice. Watch even the Justice League movie, where it's just like he sort of he might be my favorite superhero, but he sort of seems out of place when they're like fighting big things, and he's just this guy in a costume. And uh, it's just the, so basically, the subsect just become whatever I find is fun, and uh, and uh, it's just something I enjoy writing. And I, I'm trying to figure out how to integrate that with the Daily Wire because having both a bunch of side writing projects and having a day job of writing might might uh, burn me out i do have one more super ego novel which will close out the story arc uh and i have a bunch more novels in me it's just all uh you know a measure of time so uh trying to figure out how to work that in now like i said now that i have a full-time writing job it's a little bit different i feel like i should be doing a engineering or programming project in the morning you've got engineer's guilt huh <laughs> yeah 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 all this skill i mean i i was a very good computer programmer you know it's it's kind of hard thing to set down there wasn't any money in computer programming the real money as uh, all humans know is in the creative arts is in the <laughs> writing so everybody out there who really wants to be a big time writer like you quit your engineering job like just give it up as a loss that four-year uh, mechanical or chemical engineering degree uh and uh sit at home and write stuff i mean it really it really is an act of providence though that you get you get to do this it is it is fantastic that uh, you, your talents are the right place in the right time for, for what the daily wire needs. And as they're discerning, uh, what America needs. You want to, as a Christian, you want to use your talents and stuff you help society. And I never really sure how to do that, you know, write novels and, uh, do little things on the side. And, uh, I kind of felt like a coward compared to people like Ethan, Eric, who are full out there full time. Well, I'm the very conservative person. I like to have a responsible day job to support my family. Now I'm in the midst, so we'll we'll see. But it, it, yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, it feels like you know I'm writing scripts about chinchillas and uh, doing things. And it, it, but it feels right. It's like yes, this is what I should be doing. <laughs> you were you were called to be the uh, chinchilla whisperer. Uh, God God set you on that path. Well, uh, one of the things you've got on your Substack, you know, you mentioned when you were a writer at Babylon B. I, a lot of people know that, and you've got. So, some of your greatest hits and so I, I was going through a couple of those earlier and you've got one uh dad who just sat down pretty sure kids scream wasn't anything serious <laughs> and you know these, these are like I, I love these kind of headlines you know obviously the bab the, the b has the christian jokes the political jokes but these are just funny you know these are just like who who can't relate to that joke <laughs> yeah i i always felt like politics was my specialty and you know and uh so I was real happy when I could actually come up with a uh, a religious or a family one. Uh, so I worked I liked working on those a bit. Some of my later ones, I did these uh, toddler reviews, which were just reviewing different things <laughs> from the perspective of a like a three year old. 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, there, there's no shortage of jokes uh, we, we can make about any politician. It, you know, you, you guys, uh, you took on a lot of uh, social issues, too. Like, you know, you've got climate change jokes. You've got, uh, uh, well, here's another another one of my favorite ones. Texas luring jobs away from California with promises of electricity. Oh, well, I, of course. I, I got punished <laughs> for that ironic, one. That's ironic, though. <laughs> well, last, yeah, last, last winter, so did Texas. That's true. I guess karma <laughs> caught up yeah, with Yeah, yeah, karma <laughs> caught up with me on that one. Much better this season, got to say, though. Apparently someone did some checking on the grid here. <laughs> yes, they made sure everything was turned on this time. And, uh, you know, a lot of, like, uh, not quite, like, politically adjacent ones about, like, just, you know, finances, earning money, um, uh, after accumulating $999,999,000, man stops earning money so people won't get mad at him. You know, he's not a, he's not a billionaire. He's just a millionaire. And that's, that's okay, I guess. Yeah. I always fascinated by the people who like make something special about billionaires. It's like, it's, it's, you know, you have this federal government with trillions of dollars. It's your money. That's the one you're supposed to be focused on. These guys are like pocket change compared to that. But, <laughs> but yeah, my, my favorite political ones though, were where I, I, make fun of a political issue but not but it's kind of unclear what side i'm making fun of or you're just kind of riffing on it and yeah not i like to make those a the best point mm-hmm. yeah i mean the the best jokes are the ones that surprise you yeah you know, that, that you don't see coming uh that, that just takes you for a little ride and you're like oh dang <laughs> yeah i always find writing political humor to an audience you know agrees with you is kind of doing humor on easy mode yes as long as they agree with you they'll give it to you usually pretty easy but uh, I think part of the problems for me with the Babylon Bee is so much of it was about the headline and the image or whether it's popular or not. You know, you pour your heart out writing a funny article about how many people <laughs> write it. And it really wanted something where it's more about the writer and about the content. And, uh, well, that, that's, you know, now that we're right for TV shows, I feel like it's where I should be because this is, you know, very much, you know, these words you pick throughout the whole episode are going to be very important. Well, I'm uh, still a Babylon B uh, headline forum subscriber, so I'm I'm tirelessly pitching headlines there. And that, yeah, that's that's the much easier part because you're right. That's that's the one that gets the attention, not necessarily the joke that's kind of you know buried in, inside the paragraph. But uh, I, I still enjoy it. I I like the challenge of trying to come up with the whole story in one sentence. Obviously, with the B getting banned off of Twitter, that's that's just been oh, yeah, a goldmine yeah. of jokes, you know course there's the identifies as joke which is their they're one of two jokes right yeah yeah so, they, they get ra- they get ragged on for that but it's like <laughs> okay they'll retire the identifies as joke when people stop doing it seriously right yeah. exactly but any time before then i think would be irresponsible <laughs> a couple of times people said it's what the best writers but it, i don't think there's a big drop in the quality with me leaving which i think just again illustrates where i it's probably better for me to move on to something else because uh you know they'll they'll do just fine without me well, uh, so tell me about uh, some of the short stories you're writing, though, for your Substack. Are those uh, sci-fi? Are those fantasy? Are those humor? All of the above? Like they mainly little humor ones. I, I think I'm going to have to distinguish. There's like longer ser- short stories, which are you know going to spend you know weeks and stuff putting together, and then there's ones I, I write in a couple of days just because it, it's like some silly idea that came to me. Uh, and so I'm still trying to figure out how to organize that because basically it's just I've written short stories before, and I have a few in my head but i never knew what to do with them i was like okay well i'll do this paid sub stack now i could at least make write some short stories make some money for it hopefully i'll be able to give a lot of uh information on the, the shows i'm working on eventually when uh where that's made public well i like how your sub stack is what or i guess before a sub stack is your blog 
that's what gave birth to the Super Ego series, you know, your, your first novel. And so uh, I hope to see more of that from uh, your Substack short stories. Hope to see some more novels kind of spin off from there. I think that's, that's the way to do it is just you, you've got an audience and you're, you're sort of kind of figuring out what, what stories your audience uh, wants to enjoy. And then you can develop them further if those uh, go there. So that, that seems like a great approach. And we'll have links to uh, Frank's Substack in the show notes. So make sure to scroll down to find that. Uh, Frank, it's been really fun having you on the the podcast today. I, I look forward to all your writing that comes out. I'm excited for this new Super Ego book that I'm going to dive into soon. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And Godspeed, Frank. Stephen, as I said, we're we're in the Silver Age right now, and I'm really excited to see how the Daily Wire produces this new content that's made by Christian creators, but with with a wider team and for a much wider audience than just a Christian audience. Uh, This is something that I haven't really seen in my lifetime, I think. Maybe the original Pixar movies, like we said, you know, maybe some classic films or stories, but uh, again, you know, the the lines have become clear in our culture, and I, I really like that The Daily Wire is embracing the posture that they are and at the same time, they're they're not just like, hey, let, let's make a, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan propaganda <laughs> kind of film. Let's make something that families can enjoy, that like lots of families can enjoy. So let's head over to the comm station and pull up the holographic display and see who appears. Looks like we've got a note here from our guild, one of the heroes in our Lorehaven guild. And this was about episode 106, the... Uh, homeschool conference, uh, live interviews. And this person says, quote, I'm listening to the latest episode while working on my sewing. It sounds like it was a great conference and I want to add a lot of books to my list. I'm feeling a little lonely though. We hardly have homeschool conferences here in Australia. And now that I'm an adult, I don't really have many homeschool connections. I want to go hang out at a homeschool conference End quote. Uh, Steven, so first of all, this is what I love about the guild is that we're connecting with people all the way around the world, uh, from down under to, <laughs> to Europe, to, uh, all different parts of the globe. And, uh, it's, it's really cool that, uh, you know, homeschooling is a global thing. Uh, I do wish for something to come to Australia, uh, homeschool wise. Uh, I don't know if teach them diligently wants to go international, but Hey, here's your opportunity. It looks like you've got at least one customer. But uh, I definitely relate to this this topic about I need to add all these books to my list. When Stephen, when I was at the conference and I was interviewing all these authors, I just said, you know what, I don't trust myself right now to make a purchase because I'm going to purchase all the books. So I'll just let my my wife know about all these resources and uh, w- you know, see what she wants to use with our kids. But I better not <laughs> go shopping because I'll never stop. I believe the slightly vulgar meme phrase for that is shoot that directly into my veins. In this case, you can apply that to all of this books and learning and all of that. I appreciate the lament from our hero, and I'm glad that the guild can provide at least uh, some kind of a surrogate community, but it's not enough, is it? You know, whether you're in lockdown or in Australia, when we seem to be having all the fun here in Texas or the United States, I feel for you, sister. I am really sorry that they don't have these massive homeschool conferences down there. I do see that in an eternal perspective. I think that God will reward your faithfulness, uh, whether or not there's an immediate like-minded community in your area. Uh, But I am grateful for the technology where you can at least connect with people long range and know that you are not alone. 
not just uh, by having more homeschoolers around, uh, but by enjoying the virtual company of the body of Christ. I almost feel a little strange saying that, by the way, Zach, because just because of our life circumstance, like my wife and I, it's not like we homeschool, but we've been homeschooled and we still love that community so much. And it has developed so much. Uh, This may be whether or not it's a silver age for Christian made fantasy or Christian made entertainment. It certainly is another age of development for homeschooling. Lots of people are curious about it. Lots of people are willing to give it a try. And more people are investing in their homes because a lot of them are working from their homes. And the closer you get to home, I think in many ways, uh, the closer you get to um, an ideal in the Bible for family and not just a particular person stays home with the kids all the time, but God does address the home so much. He addresses families. And that's something I would like to invest more in uh, as we grow Lorehaven and not just reaching out to individual readers who enjoy these kinds of stories, but families who enjoy exploring these stories together. Uh, One of those stories uh, would be the very popular Disney movie. I dare say we are going to endorse, at least I I would endorse a Disney movie. It's it's in Canto and Canto is a good movie. And whether or not you hang on to your Disney Plus, uh, we can still find the common graces in these popular cultures before the activists get hold of them. The reason why I bring that up is uh, Shannon Stewart, our Lorehaven staff creator, uh, wrote a really great article finding the common grace in Disney's Encanto. It was called Encanto Shows Legalism's Ruin and God's Gift of Grace. Uh, Zach, uh, just uh, not long ago, there was a Gospel Coalition article which said that, you know, Bruno, the one we don't talk about, is kind of like Jesus if you think about it. And it was a bit unfair, but lots of people yelled at them. They turned their noses at them. They sneered at them and they said, how (laughs) could you possibly say this with all the controversy going on at Disney? Like, I wasn't all that fond of the more elementary approach of that article. I think that uh, Shannon did a much better job. Uh, But I would rather us try to engage these themes rather than ignore them entirely. I like the Gospel Coalition's way of doing it more than I like others' way of not doing it at all. Anyway, that's the setup for this uh, response to the article from one actually member of the uh, Realm Sphere. Uh, Lorehaven has a presence there, that uh, virtual community for the Realm Makers Conference. This person commented on the article saying, quote, wonderful article that made me cry. (laughs) I relate so much to the characters in Encanto. I saw a lot of these ideas when I watched the film, although I couldn't have written them as beautifully as Shannon does. End quote. Amen. And I think just engaging these stories, that's something that we continue to want to do at Lorehaven. We have a special interest in Christian-made stories, but non-Christian-made stories like Encanto still have some value. Now, if you've got future versions of Disney that are like making half of the characters you know, as obsessed with sex as the activists are, as obsessed with their own identity, then I think the quotient of common grace in those stories is going to go down. Uh, There's still an image of God reflected in those creators, but if they're openly rebelling against it, that's going to make this kind of engagement more difficult. Not impossible, but more difficult. Yeah, I'm trying not to be curmudgeonly about this uh, film. We're just not going to watch it as a family. I I think what strikes me about it is that it, it's sort of the pinnacle of like the strong female character, which we, we've talked about this on the podcast uh, many episodes ago with Elizabeth Wheatley and how obviously there's a lot of different ways that a strong female character shows up in films, but typically it's a, a girl that beats up all the boys or a girl that's stronger than all the boys. And so you're talking about you Louisa know, from, from Encanto, the, the, yes. the strong woman. Okay. Right. Yeah, there's more to yeah. her than that. The the I feats know. of strength I, yeah. and all of that are are subverted. Uh, she is shouldering all these expectations. She actually, as Shannon points out, is arguably 
uh, the representative of the older brother you know, who's trying to follow the law, trying to meet everybody's expectations, but is uh, weeping inside. She ends up quite the uh, quite the blubbery mess at one point in the actual movie. Yeah, I mean, that that's all very interesting. It's just, uh, you know, I'm looking for a film that uh, my daughters can relate to and a strong female character that's not an unrealistically strong or like a magically physically strong, but like a mentally, emotionally and spiritually strong. Uh, not necessarily, I'm not saying I want to see a you know girl character get beat up or something, but something that, you know, my actual kids in the actual world can relate to uh, and shows them what a, a strong woman can be, but in a more biblical sense, not in a, you know, action hero kind of sense. So I don't know that, I guess that's why I, it just sort of turned me off. Cause it just seems like it's, it's kind of the absurd end of this trope that keeps showing up. But, uh, but you know, I I'm open to being wrong about this. You said it subverts it, but you know, right now I just, I have too many other things on my watch list that aren't Disney uh, and that I want to actually engage with. I haven't canceled Disney full disclosure, but, but I also just have not really watching hardly anything on there. You know, there's, I still haven't finished Boba Fett, even though I'm a big star Wars guy, I'm going to go back to some of the old star Wars books. I, I want to go back to before it sort of got taken over by the mouse house and, um, uh, just a lot of different agenda driven fiction, you know, when it was just about, you know, what happens next to Luke and Leia and like, what, where could they have gone now? Obviously that's sort of been uh memory hold in a sense. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of people that love these stories and I feel like I missed out. And so I want to go back and enjoy them, especially the books by uh, Kathy Tyers and uh, Timothy Zahn. That makes a lot of sense. And I think whether or not you want to cancel something or other or send a message to a corporation or some such, I think those questions of wisdom, how should I best spend my time to glorify God and care for my family and fulfill my responsibilities? I think those questions answer a lot. And I'm with you right now. If I do cancel Disney Plus, it is as much because I hardly use it as it would be to send a message to the corporation. You know, I might send a message all I like and they may not yeah. listen. But well, and I paid know, for it annually. So it, uh, yeah. I've already paid them for the year. So only I pay for it monthly. But I mean, should we not pay for it at all? You know, every month you can get an <laughs> extra you know, drive through burger with the amount uh, you're paying for <laughs> Disney Plus. So. It's just a question of wisdom and stewardship, uh, even if it's not a question of culture warrior-ness. So uh, my work with Lorehaven certainly makes me focus more on the Christian-made fantastical stories. That's what we do. And we are glad that you find the time to join us and exercise your stewardship gifts in that way. Uh, thoughts about this episode? We covered a lot in this one, uh, not just the Daily Wire kids, but also the bigger questions of whether or not you're going to cancel Disney, how we respond to that as Christians. You may have thoughts, and we will read them in our comm station in the future if they're really, really good. So email podcast at lorehaven.com. If you're listening to this on the website, you can post a comment at lorehaven.com or find and tag us on the socials. Just search for Lorehaven on the Facebooks, on the Instagrams, and on the Twitters. Next on Fantastical Truth, well, we're not yet in the golden age for anything, eternally speaking, but Resurrection Sunday will return soon, which does hearken to that future golden age of Christ's reign on earth. And let me just say, the church doesn't talk enough about resurrection. No, I, I don't mean my church. Mine is great. We're good. And yours may be great, too. I mean, all those other churches out there, you know, the bad churches. We just say the church when we're talking about the bad ones, right? All joking aside, some Christians can't help but miss the wonder 
that Christ has literally conquered death and raised himself to eternal life and has promised to do the same for everyone who trusts exclusively in him. We will explore this most fantastical of all truths with returning guest star Tim Chafee, the content director for Answers in Genesis and the founder of Risen Ministries. Meanwhile, whether you cancel, whether you don't, whether you switch over to the Christian alternative from the Daily Wire or any of the Christian ministries who have been doing this for much longer, don't outsource your discernment. Your kids still need you, the parent, the guardian, whomever, the leader, not to preview everything necessarily, but to engage everything and teach your kids how to do so for the glory of God as we enjoy fantastical stories for his glory. Keep seeking and finding his fantastical truth. 